name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. There is a story of a man who was taking a shortcut across a cemetery late at night. Unbeknownst to him, they had dug an open grave earlier in the day in the very path that he took. And of course, he fell in. The grave was deep and well dug, so the walls were, were cut sharp, and he could not get out. And he tried and tried to get out of the grave. He couldn't. So he finally just gave up and sat in the corner to wait until the morning. However, just a little bit later, another guy was making his shortcut across the cemetery and fell into the same grave. And he watched him from the corner try to get out, and he couldn't do it. He thought to himself, I just need to advise him. So he went up, stood up, went and tapped the fellow on the shoulder, and he said, you can't get out of here. But he did. (laughs) Well, that guy was not the first guy to come out of the grave. Actually, the Bible records a number of people who died and did not stay in the grave. But in all of history, only one person now listen carefully. In all of history, only one person claims to have returned to life from the dead and to be alive yet still today. Furthermore, the claims of this one is that he is alive forevermore and he is immortal, never to die again. Let me ask you this morning, and this is a rhetorical question somewhat, but I would like you to think about it or just in your mind. You know, how many times have you let your mind think about what it would be like to be immortal? That is to, to never die and to live forever. Now, I asked my wife that question, and she said, well, I find it actually kind of disconcerting to think about never dying, to live forever. So let me rephrase my question a little bit to you, and think about a time when everything in life is good, when, when there is just joy in your heart, and, and it's just like you would want it to be. Have you ever thought, what would it be like if life was like this forever? Never, never to come to an end. Now, what I'm going to say now may surprise many of you, but what we tend to focus on as Western Christians is not what the New Testament writers and the New Testament believers actually focused on or put their hope in. When we think about anything past our death, our attention, our mindset, our emphasis is almost uniformly about us going off to heaven. Our thinking, our words, uh, even our hymns all speak of us going off to heaven. And there are a, a number of thoughts about what happens to us when we die until the time of Jesus' return. But that intermediate state, now listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you, that intermediate state is not, was not, the hope of the New Testament Christian. It was not Paul's hope, and it was not Peter's hope. Heaven is not what they were looking forward to or longing for. Instead, they were longing for God's recreation of this world. They were longing for their own future resurrection and and their own hope of of God fixing what is wrong in our world. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright writes the following. 
And I quote, So powerful is this theme of going off to heaven in a great deal of popular preaching and liturgy, liturgy and hymnography that it comes as a shock to many people to be told that it is simply not how the earliest Christians saw things. For the early Christians, the resurrection of Jesus launched a God's new creation upon the world, beginning to fulfill the prayer Jesus taught his followers that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven and anticipating the new heavens and the new earth promised by Isaiah and again in the New Testament. From this point of view, as I've often said, though the phrase is not original to me, heaven is undoubtedly important, but it's not the end of the world. The early Christians were not very interested in the way our world has been interested in what happens to people immediately after they die. They were extremely interested in a topic many Western Christians in the last few years have forgotten about altogether, namely the, the final new creation, new heavens and new earth joined together, and the resurrection of the dead that will create new human beings to live in the new world. The Bible Project, if you're familiar with the Bible Project, we've showed a number of their videos and our young people have used a lot of their material on Wednesday nights. But the Bible Project guys say something similar and this is a quote from them. There is not even one passage in the Bible that talks about going to heaven after you die. The phrase go to heaven doesn't appear anywhere in the Old or New Testaments about death, not once. This doesn't mean the Bible has nothing to say about what happens to God's people after they die. It just means that going to heaven isn't the way biblical authors thought about it. What was the hope of the New Testament writer? Well, let's look at it. And just, you can just, if you're taking notes, I've got the verses. They're going to come up on the screen one by one. You can just write them. I just want to read them and I just would like you just to listen. This is the hope of the New Testament writers. Romans 8, beginning with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to the decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. If you didn't follow that, let me just comment on it. Here's what Paul says. He says, God submitted or... or, or put a curse, if you would, on creation that he plans to lift in a coming day. And, and the lifting of that curse gives us this hope for the future, is what Paul says. And that's going to come with the glorious freedom of God's kids, God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but also groan within, uh, we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. That's talking about our resurrection. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says in verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Notice that Paul's, Paul's hope and Paul's goal is his future resurrection. That is what he's pointing to and that's what he's longing for. 
Peter says something similar in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and will be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now track with me, okay, because this is, this is kind of foundational to what I'm going to say to you this morning, and I hope to encourage you with it. Their hope was nothing short of God recreating everything. Their affirmation was that the Creator hadn't given up on His world, that, that, that this original creation of Him was the goal that God had for all of His kids. And that he's going to recreate this, and this time, with the resurrection of Jesus at, as the beginning, he's going to restore all of creation to what he intended it to be from the beginning before our sin messed it up. This restoration has already begun. And for those of, of us who follow Jesus and who live by his spirit, we're already part of that restoration. We're already supposed to be bringing about this new heavens and new earth by the way we live. By the Spirit, we are supposed to be destroying injustice, caring for the poor, setting the captive free. We are in a small way supposed to be, as God's followers, working towards the renewal that God's going to bring by His power when Jesus comes. But listen to me, the big promise of, of God in this, in this new creation, it's eternal life. That's the, big, that's the big promise of God, that he's going to give us life that does not die, life that does not end, life that is forever. So in John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, maybe. If not, uh, we're not to judge one another, right? That's probably the most famous. Maybe this is the second most famous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die but have eternal life. John 3.36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. But we all die, right? Everybody agree you're going to die? I mean, it's not really on our consciousness because we don't think we're going to die today. Aaron died yesterday. It wasn't on his radar, I'm sure, at 28. But we're all going to die. So where is eternal life found? Y'all going to die. So where is eternal life found? Listen, it is only found in resurrection. The eternal life that God promised us is found in the truth that God is going to resurrect you back to life. That God is going to restore your dead life. God, the life that he takes away, the life that you are not alive in anymore, he's going to restore it. He's going to give it back to you. And, and eternal life is found in resurrection. And that's the only place it's found. Listen, listen to these verses from the Old Testament. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. That's Samuel's words. 
For I know, here's Job, for I know my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed, in other words, after my body is completely dead, gone, this I know, that in my flesh, in my living body, I will see God. Job chapter 19. Here's the psalmist. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. John chapter 5 verse 29. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of them, but all that, none of them that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. Somebody once remarked to me, track with me, don't let me lose you. Somebody once remarked to me that they didn't see the big deal about resurrection. If we all go to heaven, why is resurrection so important? I mean, that's a good question. Have you ever asked yourself that? That's a good question. Well, here's, here's, here's the answer to that question. The answer is, according to Paul, if there is no future resurrection for us, there is no life. That's what he says. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, listen to Paul's argument. For it is a fact that I face death daily. That is as true as my pride in your growth in the Lord. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts or the men of Ephesus if it was only for what I gain in this life down here? If we will never live again after we die, then we might as well go and have ourselves a good time. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. What's the difference? Tomorrow we die, and that ends everything. Paul's argument is crystal clear. If we don't resurrect from the dead, if there is no future resurrection, then there is nothing to live for beyond the grave. You might as well live for yourself now if there's not coming a future resurrection. So what does all this have to do uh, with our resurrection? What, what can we hope for in our resurrection? What can you expect in your own resurrection? That's what I want to do with the remainder of my time. I really want to encourage you with your coming resurrection. See, see, Jesus, we're, we're here this morning and we're celebrating that Christ died so that we would not have to die eternally. Christ died for us. And we're here to celebrate the fact that his life was restored to him. In Acts chapter 2, it says he entrusted himself to the Father to raise him from the dead. And God did just that. God gave back his life. He raised Jesus from the dead. But because he lives... Listen, here's the whole point of this. Because he lives, I get to live again. And if you really want to make it real, if I really want to make it real, because he lives, my son Shepherd will live again. And because he lives, Aaron will live again. I mean, his death, it's not the end of Aaron. He's not gone forever. He shall live again. Breath will restore, be restored to his body. He will have life in his eyes again and breath in his nostrils, and he will live again. That is the promise. And if Paul says, if that's not going to happen, you might as well just eat, drink, and be merry, for that's all there is, if that is not true. 
So let me tell you about your resurrection. I want to tell you about what God has planned for the future concerning our resurrection. Here's number one. Our resurrection will take place in conjunction with the return of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is a topical message, by the way. I'm just, I'm not going to go to one text. I'm going to give you five or six points. And they're from all over the New Testament. But here's the first one. We will rise when Jesus returns. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest, but have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by the word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with, an arch, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, many who follow Jesus divide the return of Jesus into many returns or several returns, maybe as many as three. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I personally believe that Jesus is returning once. This is my conviction. I believe he's returning once to defeat his enemies, to raise the dead, and inaugurate his kingdom. But my point this morning, regardless of how many times you think Jesus is coming back at his return, here's my point. Our resurrection is tied directly to his return. It's when Jesus... Jesus comes back that the dead in Christ shall rise. It's, it's when Jesus returns that the resurrection will take place. And those of us who happen to be here when he does return, who have not ever experienced human death, we will be transformed in that moment. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, Paul confronts some men who were teaching that the resurrection of the dead had already taken place. He says, Hymenaeus and Philemon are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Do you miss your loved ones? Do you miss those? Do you miss your mom or your dad or your, your child or your friend? Do, do you long to hold them in your arms and kiss them again? Can I tell you something? It's going to be at the return of Jesus that God's going to restore to them their life. And there you will be able to celebrate that great reunion with them. And that's why John says in the Revelation, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We long for your return. Here's the second thing. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead, and we shall be raised like him. Jesus was the beginning. Jesus was, the Bible calls him the first fruit. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, because of Adam we all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Christ the first fruit, afterward, afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, and he goes on to say abolishes death once and for all. Jesus is called the first fruit, everyone. He's called the initial one. The rest of us will follow. 
Notice that Paul says to, uh, to the church at Thessalonica the same thing he said to them at Corinth. At Jesus' coming, the rest of us will be raised like him. So Jesus wasn't just raised epistemologically, he was raised ontologically. <laughs> I'm laughing at that because I want to teach you two new words this morning, okay? And I'm not trying to use 25-cent words, Billy Rickman. I'm trying to teach you two words, all right? Epistemology has to do with how we determine something is true and something is real, okay? How do we know something really is legit? Well, that's called, that's the study, of this, that's the philosophy of epistemology, right? So Jesus was raised epistemologically, which means he was raised as evidence of what is true. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has proved, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection has to do with epistemology. It has to do with how we know something is true. God raised Jesus so that you would know what he is saying is true. But I don't want you to stop there because Jesus wasn't just raised for epistemology. Jesus was raised for ontology. That, is, that means that ontology is the study of or the philosophy of, of things essence or its being, right? What it really is. Jesus was raised ontologically because he was raised like we will be raised. Not just as proof that, some, that our resurrection is coming. Jesus was raised as a precursor to us. He's the first apple off the apple tree of resurrection. He's the first one to rise. And in the same way that Jesus rose, so all of us will rise as well. We will be like him in our resurrection. So here's a verse that proves this. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. As Jesus was in the resurrection, so we shall be in ours. We will be like him. Here's my next point. In our resurrection, though we'll be like him, we'll be different than we are now. He was different than he was. We will be different than we are now. Really, much of 1 Corinthians 15 is making this point from beginning to end of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. But listen to verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or of other grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. So here's Paul's analogy when he says, you want to know what you're going to be like in the resurrection? He says, it's different than where you are now. It's sort of like when we sow a corn, a grain of corn in the ground, what comes from that is the stalk of corn with the head, the ears on it. He says it's, it's corn, but it's different than it was when it was sowed in the ground. 
He says, that's what I'm trying to tell you about your resurrection. You're going to be different than you are now. When we get to verse 42, if you have your Bibles, you know, I should have put this on the screen. But verse 42 says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in natural body, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Now, I don't want to make too much out of this, but I want to show you four comparisons between who we are now in our lives and who, what we'll be like in the resurrection. Paul make, gives us four comparisons. He says, when we're buried, when you buried mom or dad or grandmother or whoever, you buried a body that was dying. You buried a body that was corrupting. You buried a body that would not live forever. It could not live forever. It was dying the moment it was born. Paul says, that's how we were buried. That's not how we're coming back in the resurrection. In the resurrection, we are coming back incorruptible. We're coming back never to die again. We're coming back clothed in immortality when he raises us from the dead. Verse 53, for this corruptible body, this is 1 Corinthians 15, must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. In the Garden of Eden, men were made potentially immortal. When we sinned, the wages of sin brought our death. We are no longer alive. God moved the tree of life out of the Garden of Eden, the Bible says, so that we would not eat it and live forever. So we die. The re- in the resurrection, by the way, the tree of life comes back. Do you know that? Go to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 21. The tree of life is back in, uh, in the end, in the new heavens, in the new earth. We live forever. We're immortal. Here's something else about the old Jew versus the resurrected Jew. When we, buried, when we bury you or me, we are buried in shame and dishonor. But when we are raised, we are raised in glory, it says. Here's what I think Paul means by that. We're buried as sinners, fallen men. Every one of you will be buried filled with shame. Maybe not filled with shame, but you'll have shame. You'll have shame over your rebellion. In fact, I think probably all of us may be shamed if our, if our lives were revealed in open books so everybody could see us. I, I think probably all of us would feel shame. So we're, we're, sowing, we're sowing our lives. Our, our, when we die, we die in shame. But when we're raised, we're raised in honor. And here's what I think Paul means by that. In the resurrection, you will be without sin. Jesus bore your shame, bore your sin. He's going to raise you in honor. And he's going to raise you sinless. And you will never sin again. Here's the third thing he says. When we bury ourselves now, when we're buried now, we're buried in weakness. But when we're raised, we'll be raised in power. And again, I confess I have no idea exactly what he means by this, but, but, but maybe he's alluding to the fact that our bodies are frail now. We're, we're not immune to diseases. We're, 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 we're not uh, impermeable to broken bones or losing a limb in an accident. Mental illness robs us of our, of our thinking capacities. Maybe in the resurrection, when he says we're raised in power, our lives will be different. There, you know, we'll be raised with a power that does not, does not let us succumb to such things as that. 
Martin Luther suggested this, and I quote, As weak as it is now, without all power and ability, when lies in the grave, just so strong will it eventually become when the time arrives, so that not a thing will be impossible for it if it has a mind for it. And it will be so light and so agile that, talking about our lives to come in the resurrection, in an instant it can float here, below, or on, on earth, or above in heaven. I have no idea how Luther would know that, okay? And I'm not even sure Luther's right. Right. But Luther's point was that the, the, the life that we buried in these days is weak. But the one that God raises in the resurrection will be powerful. There will be a distinct difference. And then the final thing that Paul says about this difference. He says when we're buried, we were, we were buried as a living Creature, a living, natural, nefesh is the word, but we will be raised a spiritual creature. And, and he, he, he juxtaposes our, who we are today as a natural creature with a spiritual being in the resurrection. And again, I'm not sure exactly what that's like, but Jesus, I think, speaks into it. In Luke chapter 20, verse 34, Jesus is talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees about the kingdom to come. And he says, the children of this age, talking about us now, marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to take place, to take part in the age and in the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God since they are children of the resurrection. So Jesus says in some sense, our resurrection in the future is going to be different our nature is going to be different than it is now. Now, can I tell you what I think that means? I, I personally think, at least in part, that means we'll be sealed in, in, with an ability not to sin. We will not be given uh, a, 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 a nature. A, you know, God does not sin. It's His nature. God gave us the potential to rebel against Him. But I think in, in the coming age, in the resurrection, he's going to seal us with his own nature. Here's my next point. I wish I'd have numbered them. In our resurrection, there will be continuity with who we are now. And I'm not trying to contradict what I just said about having a different nature than, than we have you know, now versus the resurrection. But, but nonetheless, though we will be different, there will be a continuity between who I am today and who I am in the resurrection. Uh, you know, and again, I, whether this, con this continuity will at least be in our memories and in our consciousness and maybe even, I think, in our physicalness, as I'll talk about in just a second. Jesus, after the resurrection, in Luke chapter 24, listen, I know you know these verses, but just listen. As they were saying these things, Jesus stood in their midst, and he said to them, peace to you. This is in the resurrection. But they were startled, and they were terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost, and they were troubled. And he asked them, why do you have doubts rise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost, a spirit, does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands, his feet, but while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. 
So this is in the resurrection. So Jesus says, Jesus says, touch me. Notice I'm not a spirit. I have flesh and bone. So there is some, in our resurrection, there is a physicalness about, even though we'll be a spiritual creature as opposed to a natural creature, we're going to be similar to we are now. And I don't know about you, but I'm so excited that we get to eat in the eternal kingdom, don't you? When I read that, I saw your faces light up, especially in this corner right over here, right? I mean, it's a good, I love to eat. I have to fight eating all the time, you know, and, and we get to eat in the, we get to eat in the new kingdom. I think that's a wonderful thing. Randy Alcorn says, and I quote him talking about the coming earthly kingdom. He says, we'll stand on the new earth and see it, feel it, smell it, taste its fruits, and hear its sounds. Not figuratively, literally. We know this because we're promised resurrection bodies or lives like Christ. He saw and heard and felt and, and he, as he cooked and he ate the fish, he presumably smelled it and tasted it. We will too. Jesus taught us to pray like this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as it, as it is your will. God's earthly kingdom is coming to, God's, excuse me, spiritual heavenly kingdom is coming to earth. That's, that's the whole point of Revelation 20 and 21 and 22. I saw the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven down to earth, and Jesus is going to reign over the earth as our king. It's, it's, it's not, he's our king now and he's reigning from heaven, but there's coming a day when he returns and he rules this world and he rules over us and all is made new and made, made right. I'm pretty sure that racial and gender identities will probably continue in the resurrection. Did you hear what I just said? I believe if you're a man now, you're probably going to be a man in the new kingdom. If you're a woman now, you're probably going to be a woman. If you're European, Anglo, or Asian, or African, uh, in descent, Indian, whatever you may be, I, I think you're going to be that in the resurrection. And if I could, let me give you two verses to prove that. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, talking about the end, it says, And they sang a new song, talking about in heaven. And, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. So even in heaven, they're recognizing our racial diversity. In, Revel in Revelation 7, chapter 9, after this I looked, and therefore before me was a great multitude, and no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now what won't be in the resurrection, now listen, what won't be in the resurrection is racism. There won't be any racism because all sin is going to be done away with. And racism is sin. There won't be any gender dysphoria because God's going to fix all that's been corrupted in our thinking by our sin. We will know each other in the resurrection. I believe undoubtedly so. The Bible doesn't speak to this specifically or unequivocally, but it does give us the impression that I, I am going to be resurrected. You are going to be resurrected. And so we will, I mean, there's no reason not to sur surmise that we will know each other and, re and, and, and we will recognize each other in, uh, in the resurrection. And if I could be permitted one speculation, I want to give you one speculation. The Bible doesn't speak to this at all. This is just Jimmy's thoughts because I think about this. But I think God's going to raise us in the context in which we lived. 
And what I mean by that is I don't think that God's going to raise me with some feudal lord from Europe and, and, and somebody from, from the mid-ages and then somebody from, from Africa from the first couple of centuries. I think God's going to raise us in the context in which we lived. And again, I can't prove this, but I think I'm going to be raised with you. With those of you that I've done life with, I think we'll be raised in the context in which we've lived, both age-wise and both culture-wise. We'll be raised with the people that we lived. I've got just a couple more points, so bear with me. What will we do in the resurrection and in this invitation into this new kingdom? And, and that I don't know. The Bible gives us glimpses of joy that's coming, but nothing specific. The revelation tells us that God's going to wipe away all tears, right? One of my favorite verses is this one, Malachi 4, 1 through 3. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But here's the part, but, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from a stall and you will trample the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet the day, for the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Now my point is not the trampling of the wicked. My point is the joy that will be ours in the resurrection. The joy that's going to be ours in the coming kingdom I, I just, I, I can't imagine resurrection with the Lord forever, knowing the ones we love, living with them side by side. And, and I know some of you are here this morning and you don't have faith. And what I'm sound, saying sounds like, was it pink elephants and purple polka dots? And, and, and I get it. And I get it. But I'm telling you, because Jesus is risen epistemologically, because he was raised from the dead, we can believe what he says. And this is his promise, that he will raise us to a kingdom filled with joy. I think culture, life, uh, it's hard to imagine, but God created us a really cool life now, didn't he? You ever thought about it, all the different bugs God created? I mean, some of them we wish he hadn't have created, like mosquitoes, I realize that. But, I mean, his, his creativity is amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine what God's going to create in this, in this new kingdom not soiled by sin and rebellion and selfishness? What a day of rejoicing our resurrection will be. One last point, and I'm finished. The future resurrection will include all men, not just those who put their faith in God. Now, that might shock you. It may have escaped you, but here's what the Bible says. Everything I've been saying is, is really just about one side of the resurrection. The Bible says that God is raising absolutely every man, woman, child back to life. We will all be raised in the resurrection. And uh, all death is temporary now. Every death is temporary. It is not eternal. Every one of you will live again. You will live again. You hear me? You will die. We will bury you. But you will live again because God's going to raise you back to life. The Bible is so numerous in this affirmation. Let me just read you a few. Acts 24. But this is Paul writing. He says, But I admit this to you. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way, which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written by the prophets. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept. And there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. 
At the end of Revelation chapter 20, John writes, And I saw a great white throne, one seated on it, earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what is written in the books. And then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, the dead, and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each one was judged according to their works. But the most compelling of all is Jesus himself. John chapter 5. Truly I tell you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will, will live. And just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice. All who are in the graves will hear His voice and come out. And those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. All men will die, but all men will rise. And the Bible says they're going to rise to a judgment. And at that judgment, God is going to either give you life with himself forever or God is going to cast you into the lake of fire and then God defines the lake of fire we, we, we could sit here and argue about what the lake of fire really is but John and God both say it's the second death so exactly what is the second death I don't know but there are those who will be given immortality and those who will die the second death. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. At the final judgment, each one of us is either going to receive eternal, immortal life with God in, 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 in a resurrection that lasts forever or we will be consigned to the second death. Christians have different opinions about what the second death actually really is, and that's fine. But you have, you have to say yes to God and no to the other. Listen, listen, this is 21, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. In other words, all of life that we know it is going to pass away. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God and he will wipe away their every tear from their eyes death will be no more grief crying pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away and the one seated on the throne said look I am making everything new mm. and that day two things are going to happen all will be made new the world will change there will be no more death or grief or pain and then God's bringing his dwelling place to live with us. So I end my talk this morning by offering you some invitations today. Michael Lane, would you come up here please and bring that thing you read earlier? Here's my invitations. My first one is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus and receive God's forgiveness. Re believe on the Lord Jesus this morning. Receive the Lord Jesus and, 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 and be born again today. I'm going to use Bible words. Be born again today. Put your trust in Christ and receive eternal life. Get a promise of resurrection from the dead one day.
that God, you'll live again, and you'll live again to live with God forever in his kingdom in a world that's made right and all the wrong is done away with. But you've got to receive the Lord Jesus today. You've got to open your heart and receive him. I'm as if Christ was begging through me. I am begging you. Trust in my Savior. Trust in the Savior who died for you and who rose again so that you too will rise again. You feeling the pressure? I'm definitely putting it on you. But you know what? I can't put pressure on you. The only person that can put pressure on you is it's from within. It's the, it's the work of God bringing conviction to your life. And some of you this morning need to be born again. Some of you need to put your trust in Christ today, okay? So there's my first invitation. My second invitation this morning, I got three. I only had two, but I've got a third one. And that's where Michael's going to help me. But, but here's my second one. My second invitation is to those of you who trust in Christ... Put your hope, put your hope in Jesus for, for all of this life. Not, not just for the eternal life that's coming, but put your hope in Jesus now that he will make all things right. This is the first Resurrection Sunday without Shepherd. This is the first, the first time we celebrate Jesus' victory over death without Shep. And I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that, that knowing that Jesus conquered death and it is his promise that we will all rise again, it fills my heart with hope. And I want you to have that same hope. This might sound like the same invitation, but it's a little bit different. I'm speaking to those of you who follow Jesus and I'm saying, put your hope in Jesus. Trust in him. You know, let him, let him carry you through all the tragedies of life. And there will be tragedies and tribulations. When I read Michael's text this morning, I had to choke back my tears because I thought of Aaron's parents. I mean, I don't know Aaron, don't know his parents, but I thought of his parents this morning. I want you to hope in Jesus, you, you who followed Jesus. I want you to hope and be secure in him no matter what happens to you in this life. Know that He loves you. Know that He knows. Know that He's not going to abandon you and know that He's going to redeem it. But here's my third invitation that I felt I wanted to give you even as Michael was sharing, and it's this. Christian, why are we so... Why are we so... not given over to following Jesus with, and loving Jesus with all of our heart? If you and I really believe what we say we believe, if it's really true, if Jesus really did conquer death and there is coming a resurrection, there's a new, if it really is true, then how can we live such sin-laden lives? And I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to myself too. How, how can we live so apathetically in our, in, our, in our love for Jesus in the living out of our life walking with Him you know, I've talked about how we're going to live forever, and that is true. But don't forget who you're going to live forever with. You're going to live forever with this creator who loves you and, and just who wants this relationship with you and who was willing to submit himself to death so that we might live. I, I really want to just challenge all of us on this Resurrection Sunday to, for those of us who follow Jesus, this is primarily for you. And I, I want you to put your hope in Him so that regardless of what happens, you know 
you know and you, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be not okay, but you're going to be okay. You're going to be grieving, but you're going to be okay. But my, this invitation that, that when Michael spoke this morning, I felt like was what God wanted to say to all of you in light of this and to me is that is what Aaron said. Success is not found in how well we, we turn out in this particular life. Success is that we love Jesus with all of our heart and we, and we just, we love, we love him and want to live for him. So I want you to listen to Aaron's words again. Greatness. Ever since I was young, I've had this desire for greatness. I've dreamed of building great things, creating masterpieces, becoming rich and famous, and being well-loved and popular. I think we all have a God-given desire for greatness at some level. I still want to be a person of greatness, but I never really understood what that meant. Greatness is not about having a book deal or speaking at conferences, having a big church, owning your own company, having lots of money, rising up through the ranks, or having your name be a household word. Greatness is not even being a hero or saving the world. That's already been done. Here's real greatness, and it's so much better. True greatness is knowing Jesus. It's representing him well. It's letting Christ live through you to the world around you. It's loving well. It's losing yourself and giving all in pursuit of the prize, the prize of Christ. It's learning to be a servant. Greatness, true greatness, is being called a friend of God. If I live my life and nobody has heard of me, if I'm a nobody in the world's eyes, it will all be worth it if I'm known in heaven. If Christ can say of me, I'm a trusted friend and servant, it will have all been worth it. Let's live our lives for heaven's greatness. Let's bow our heads. Thanks, Mike. So this is your invitation time. This is your moment with the Lord. So um, praise team is going to come up. We're going to end with a song. But before, before we sing that last song, and just the quietness of the moment, would you, would you talk to uh, your creator? Would you talk to the one who loved you and gave himself up for you? And would you, I don't know. I don't know what, what do you need to talk to him about. Some of you maybe need to receive him. And you need to say, Lord, I, I want you. I want to trust in you. I want to, I want to follow you. And some of you... Some of you, it's, it's you know, I, Lord, help me hope and trust in you no matter what. And I'm going through this really tough time. Lord, help me to have my hope in you. But for all of us, I think the last point is so germane. What our brother Aaron said, you know, this is greatness. To love God, live for God, to make him the priority of my life. And I just want to challenge you this morning to, to choose to choose to be great by trusting our great Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what Jesus said was what you would do, that is bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, would you do that now to every one of us, to every heart. And Lord, would you help us to respond, to respond in the way that uh, Lord brings glory and honor to you and affects our life forever. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.
Thank you.